I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Podcast Network Asia. Welcome to She Talks Peace a podcast that highlights the role of women peace builders around the world in bringing lasting peace and security to communities, eavesdrop on their communities and get to know their stories. From the Philippines to Malaysia, from Indonesia to Palestine, from Myanmar to the United States, their dreams and hopes for a world without violence and a world where every woman and girl can be whoever she wants to be. Hosted by... Amina Rasul Bernardo, President of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy. This is She Talks Peace. Salam! Hello everyone! Welcome to another interesting episode on She Talks Peace. I'm Amina Rasul of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy, joining you from Manila. And I'm here with my co-host... Hi, Amina. Hi, everyone. This is Ayesa, and I'm based here at the Bukhari International University in Kedah, Malaysia. So how is it going, Amina? So far, so good. Um, you know how it is after the president, uh, the new president ends one year. There's a lot of politicking already, and uh, I was just... I was just thinking that uh, politics in Malaysia has become as interesting <laughs> as politics in the Philippines. So what do you think, Ayesa? How is uh, the political climate in Malaysia these days? I think all of us in Southeast Asia are experiencing somehow some, um, you know, like uh, interesting times, as you say. Like here in Malaysia... Uh, finally, our current prime minister, you know, has been a politician for a long, long time. He has had a colorful political career as well as personal life, you know, out in the open. But in the end, you know, he is now uh, our prime minister. So uh, I'm sure our guest speaker today will tell us more about, um, you know, all the developments uh, that we have now in, in Putrajaya with the change of uh, of government leaders that we have, yeah. But yeah, life goes on. You know, <laughs> we we have all these uh, undercurrents, you know, of changes of uh, government. But at the same time, I think um, for many of us, especially who are working in civil society, you know, NGO networks and academics. And we are all, um, you know, keep on pushing through in, on how we can always, you know, engage with government leaders and politicians as well. But I've really been trying to, you know, get better acquainted with, uh, with Malaysian um, politics. And uh, 
I was you know, I was I was interested in the changes, for instance, in tone, the changes in program. So during uh, uh, PM uh, Mahathir's uh, return, right, and that was pretty amazing. He returned at what the age of ninety something, <laughs> and uh, he's his now uh, slogan was no. at the time when he came back. Uh, he was already in his nineties, ninety-two, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, older than uh, President Biden, but his slogan was "New Malaysia," right? Malaysia Bahru, right? Um, and he was really talking about, uh, you know, shifting. I, I guess the attention from the corruption of the of the past. And then here comes uh, PM Anwar, and his slogan is "Malaysia Madani," civil Malaysia. And I was wondering why civil Malaysia, uh, focusing on good governance, sustainable development, and racial harmony. So I was wondering about that racial harmony. You think you think this is uh, uh, in in a way PM Anwar uh, reaching out to the uh, you know. Islamists in in politics are becoming more more powerful, right? Uh, I understand that in the last election they said there was a green wave, more uh, fundamentalist Islamic political leaders winning. Is that is that right? Tama ba yung is that uh, you know, Al Jazeera and the others well, were committing? As correct? an as an observer, Amina, I think you know I I've been uh, experiencing many changes of government here in Malaysia, but uh, issues of racial um, racial issue and you know, um, this promotion of racial harmony has always been a mainstay in the campaigns. And because it, it has never really changed the rhetoric during elections, in fact, you know, we have to understand that in Malaysia's context, uh, it has a rich uh, and uh, diverse ethnic groupings and racial you know, groups as, as much as uh, religious groups. So it's not only about Muslims, you know, contrary to what many people say that Malaysia is a Muslim country. You know, there are other parts in Malaysia, like in Sabah and Sarawak, where half of the population are non-Muslims as well. So it's a very diverse uh, society. So it is but natural that uh, it's always a constant challenge. You know, how do you... Um, you know, in, uh, make uh, racial harmony stronger, you know, just like in the Philippines, you know, as a result of our diversity there. So, you know, and it's just like any other country doing nation building. Uh, it's never been easy. <laughs> so, uh, we'll see how much, you know, this new government can, can in fact be more, um, you know, uh, can be more successful in doing uh, this uh, new Malaysia Madani uh, philosophy that they are promoting. Yeah, civil Madani. And I was just thinking that uh, uh, Seri Anwar, when he came back to politics, he was really uh, putting together this diverse group, right, of, um, of uh, political parties uh, with some minority groups um, in, in the mix. And now that he's prime minister, uh, is he really reaching out to the mainstream, to the growing uh, 
political parties who are really looking at, at Islam as uh, their North Star. And uh, so you've got uh, these attempts, these uh, developments by PM uh, Anwar. Like this, um, this, this latest article by Al Jazeera, when they were talking about uh, how that to Seri Anwar, PM Anwar, wants uh, Jakim. This is the Islamic development arm of Malaysia, right? He wants yes. them to have a stronger voice in the development of, of policy within Malaysia. And many of the opposition leaders are completely <laughs> against that, as I could imagine they would be. So why don't we uh, start our conversation now with our guest speaker? I think we will have more um, exciting uh, discussions when it comes to Malaysian politics. And then uh, I think um, our guest speaker for today, he is what we can call an insider, you know, an, an insider uh, informant yeah. and, and more, very knowledgeable about the ins, ins mm. and outs of political parties because he himself is involved of uh, uh, one of the political parties here in Malaysia. So our guest speaker for uh, this episode on She Talks Peace, we have Mr. Rahman Hussein. He is uh, a consultant of several organizations uh, that are, you know, dealing with geopolitical, humanitarian, and economic issues uh, in many parts of the world. Uh, he works with groups like Make, Progredior Consulting, Imperium Consulting Asia, and Tropicana Corporation Berhad. Uh, he's an advisor strategy across communications and public affairs, and he is very passionate about development and uh, comes you know, at the international stage, tackling uh, international issues, and where he also engages with government, especially with the Malaysian Youth Parliament and the United Malay National Organization, or UMNO, one of the biggest political parties here in Malaysia. So let's now welcome Mr. Rahman Hussein. Mr. Rahman. Hello. Hi. Hi. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, good afternoon. Thank you. Thank you, Amina. Thank you, uh, Isa, for having me uh, on the show today. I'm glad that you were able to join us, uh, Rahman, because uh, yes, I and I have been having a, a really uh, exciting conversation about the politics in uh, in Malaysia, and I was just, uh, before the show, I was just commenting to you how your politics is beginning to be like Philippine politics as well. <laughs> so what can, you, what can you say about the developments in, uh, in Malaysia, Rahman? What's, what's going on? Uh, but the politics in Malaysia remains dynamic, uh, primarily with the uh, sworn in of Prime Minister Anwar after almost uh, two decades plus uh, in the waiting, he's finally the prime minister of the country. Uh, it's very interesting to see how uh, the party he has led. Now, right now, Malaysia is uh, Malaysia is sort of like um, led by this unity coalition government, of which the prime minister is Anwar. The leading bloc is Pakatan Harapan, which is led by Anwar. And then you have the Sarawakian Party, which is the GPS uh, bloc. And then you have the GRS, the Gagasan Rakyat Sabah, 
uh, block, and of course you have Amno as part of it. So I'm, I mean, Amno won 26 seats. Uh, Barisan National as a coalition won uh, about 30 seats uh, in total. Now I picked up something uh, when that Amina said um, about uh, the green wave that has happened in past. Now right. I think. Uh, it, yeah, but it's it's very uh it's very important and crucial to see uh the green wave and pass uh pass uh, performance uh in this general election and then I I'll sort of like go back to why uh or how the ground is perceiving uh the new narrative of uh, Malaysia Madani uh, set about by uh Prime Minister Anwar. Now in 2018, during the general election, PAS uh, had 18 parliamentary seats. Now, however, in 2022, PAS had 49 seats uh, in the last general election. That's almost a 200% jump uh, in terms of number of parliamentary seats by PAS. I mean, I've, it's not too much to say that if we break uh, Malaysian politics down to the political party, PAS is very up there when it comes to uh, influence among the uh, Malaysian uh, electoral, uh, the Malaysian electoral electorate. Uh, so the green wave, uh, the green wave itself, if you're looking at it, is, is primarily towards the more uh, inland or the rural heartland of Malaysia, whereby it is, the campaign is sort of like central, uh, centralized upon several key messages like um, Islam, as I mean, we're clean, there's no corruption with us. Uh, and to a certain extent, uh, this may come as a surprise, but data has shown that uh, Perikatan National, which is the coalition of which PAS is uh, a member, has dominated political content during the general elections across TikTok. Uh, everyone talks about digital media, everyone talks about social media, and I dare say that TikTok has been one of the key uh, factors in terms of getting uh, the younger voters to sort of like come out and vote. Of course, Pakatan Harapan had that, has their traditional voters, Amno uh, with their traditional voters, uh, Perikatan National with their traditional voters. Uh, as you can imagine, in 2021, Malaysia passed a law whereby anyone who's 18 years of age is now automatically registered as a voter. Now that adds about five million new voters last year. Wow. Uh, and yes, uh, in total we have we have about twenty one million voters, of which ten million of those voters are aged between eighteen to forty years old. So if you're talking about, uh, if you're talking about you know youth participation, you're talking about women participation. Yeah, yeah. GE, yeah, GE fifteen is is that battleground. It, it's that ground to see sort of like where this is heading and how Malaysian politics is going to be shaped uh, in the next Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. 
With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Five to ten years. Now, I mean, I said something about, you know, Malaysia Madani, how is this being received? Uh, what's happening on the ground? Now, the reality is this coalition between uh, parties, this coalition government to a certain extent, uh, or we call it the Kerajaan Perpaduan, the unity government, um, it, it's, it's receiving very mixed response. As you, we all can share that, you know, Anwar Ibrahim and Pakatan Arapan has always been championing reform, um, mm-hmm. anti-corruption stand. You know, every political speech you see for the past 20 years will be centered upon, you know, corruption will be centered upon, you know, uh, reform, institutional reform and whatnot. Now, in the formation, in the run-up of the formation of the government, of which AMNO and Barisan National is part of that government, uh, the government of Anwar itself has had to be content or has had to be, has to go on the defensive, trying to defend why is it that you we are working with a coalition that you deem to be so morally abject and, mm-hmm. and you know, corrupted to the core in order to form a, a working government. I think these are some of the primary issues that Anwar has, has had to grapple on top of, you know, a country that is fresh out of a pandemic. Um, you know, inflation runs uh, high and especially for uh, food prices. You know, you see prices of egg, prices of chicken has gone up, you know, twice or three times the price. And and on top of that, uh, Anwar sort of like realizes that there is uh, there is a, a groundswell movement within the Malay electorate, uh, you know, which has contributed to the green yeah. wave to a certain extent, right? Yeah. Um, even before the green wave, there were already worries that the the rising influence of um, uh, Islamic religious leaders, particularly those who were very fundamentalist, uh, almost right-wing in their interpretation of Islam, were starting to really curtail rights, rights of minorities, for instance, um, rights of, uh, of women. I mean, there have been celebrated cases filed in, in Malaysia that made people who are non-Muslims very worried. And now you have the green wave. Is, is uh, the prime minister going to be able to temper this uh, move towards, you know, growing power of uh, Islamic fundamentalist leaders who could really do much damage to the protection of uh, human rights? Uh, I, I mean... I would, as much as, uh, you know, uh, to sort of like clarify the situation, I think the Prime Minister uh, has that in his mind that, you know, there are several, uh, you know, power bases which are promoting a very rigid, extreme right-wing views of uh, Islam, of which uh, the Prime Minister itself, to a certain extent, have always espouses this, um, you know, Muslim Democrat image and to a certain extent, Amno has always been a middle ground when it comes to to 
to uh, Islamic interpretation and uh, Islamic issues uh, within Malaysia. I mean, as much as we are an ethnocentric party, uh, primary of made up primarily of the Malays or the sons of the soils, the Bumi Putra uh, in Malaysia, we've always maintained a very um, centrist view on Islamic uh, laws and Islamic interpretation. Now, I do not doubt that uh, there are corners of that, uh, of that element in Malaysia. Uh, however, a very interesting uh, note that I'd like to, that I have observed during the last general election, because I was primarily uh, working uh, at the back end, more, more war room strategy stuff uh, in one of these uh, parliamentary seat area, whereby it is a mix of rural Malay heartland and uh, slightly more urban uh, mixed race uh, voters. Now, one thing I've learned, uh, and, and I, I suppose this is my analysis, I suppose this is true for most of the other parliamentary seats, is um, economic factors uh, is front and centre when it comes to why people or voters decide to you know, vote for a certain party. Now, pass for all their views, right, has promised in that in the last general election saying that, look, we are clean, uh, we don't have any leaders who are being persecuted for corruption, ergo, we are the right party to make sure that you have food on your table. Right? That's one way of, of looking at it. Because if you look at Malaysian politics on a spectrum, on one end, you have the Pakatan Harapan, which PAS and Perikatan National has accused to be um, less uh, tolerable or, or less inclined to, to the plight of the Bumi Putra, the plight of Islam. And then you have Amno Barisan National, which has been accused of this is a corrupted party to the core. And then there's Perikatan National, of which they say, Look, we are suffering today because of these two uh, coalition. One is not uh, Malay Islam friendly, uh, and uh, and you know sort of like uh, treats the non-Muslim better. Uh, the other one is corrupted to the core. So PAS essentially fills up that gap and say, look, we're going to ensure that you have a livelihood, or that because we we don't have corruption or we don't have corrupted leaders. So essentially, the extreme right wing. Uh, matters uh, stems from this dissatisfaction of economic uh, well-being. So when when voters in the rural heartland starts thinking that, you know, there's no like there's no movement in my socio-economic status, right? I mean, I've given votes to Perikatan Harapan, uh, Pakatan Harapan. I've given votes to Barisan National. I, I my life has not improved, right? Neither okay. is my brethren or my religion. Yes, Aisa. Raman, uh, in this recent election, we've also seen uh, an improvement of uh, more women in the Malaysian parliament. And it says that it has reached almost 30%. It was just like two, two seats away for women uh, parliamentary members. So that means it, it's been uh, doing well when it comes to representation of female politicians in the Malaysian parliament. But Looking now at the current um, government, uh, the ministry, uh, the ministers, you know, we also have several female ministers, but we all know also that um, we talk about government's commitment to women leaders and women's issues. It's not 
as easy as counting the number. <laughs> because we've seen for uh, the past administrations that, uh, you know, the women's groups, you know, the feminist movement in Malaysia has been for quite some time, you know, been very optimistic time and again, you know, that hopefully we will have like a ministry for, uh, you know, a more effective, you know, ministry for women. You know, so uh, how is that going so far? What is your observation about women's participation, women's leadership, and women's issues? Is this a priority? Uh, do you see this as a priority in this government? Um, well, uh, thank you, Aisa, for for that question. Now let's let's look at the numbers. Since you mentioned number, I think to give a bit more context on women participation in politics in Malaysia. So in two thousand and twenty-two, uh, we have. 4,478 candidates uh, that joined the elections, of which there are only 127 of those candidates are women. And today we have 30 uh, members of parliament who are female. Now, if you were to look at the absolute picture, then you know, you're looking at probably slightly, le- slightly more than 20% which is not there yet uh, if we were to look at you know some of the key initiatives that have been espoused in the past in the past 5 to 10 years whereby we're looking at women participation uh, in politics by 30% 30% of women uh, are represented in multinational corporations board or the government linked companies board or in the corporate sector uh, or 30% and at the same time 30% of women who are you know business owners uh, so we're still there is improvement, but we're still not there yet. Uh, there are there could be several factors to it as well, right? Uh, primarily, politics have politics, as we all know, is very demanding uh, of time, of resources, and it has been largely a male-dominated area. Uh, that's that's one. Uh, the second thing is, uh, you know, women who participate in politics are more likely to be subject of vitriol and subject of ridicule by, uh, you know, some section of the male voters. I mean, you essentially will have diverse view and you essentially have better chance at uh, being more effective. And Aisha, you spoke about a more effective um, women's ministry. Now, the way the government works under the women ministry, you have several key uh, issues or agencies, right? Uh, one of which primarily is the welfare uh, agencies. Uh, that's under the women's issue. Although I think the government is not doing enough in terms of um, outlining uh, some of the key strategic areas or at least a five-year plan on where this is going. For example, uh, this is linking back to uh, what uh, Amina spoke about, uh, Malaysia Madani. Now, the thing about the current uh, idea about Malaysian Madani is one cannot see how that will translate at a policy level, at a program level. It, it makes good soundbite, right? Okay, this is Malaysian Madani, progressive, and so on and so forth. But then again, we all know it, to win an election, it has to, any sort of slogan or uh, a government program should be able to be translated to effects on the ground. And right. if you're talking about if you're talking about women and women participation, mm-hmm. I don't see that bit, that Madani bit, um, in being translated or, or exemplified in, uh, you know, in the woman. For example, I don't think the government is looking 
serious enough into the care economy. One of the reasons why women stayed at home and not participate actively in economy and in politics because the care economy is not there. Like, you know, they, women increasingly today have to choose between do I want a career or do I want to take care of my kid? Or do I want to uh, do I want to join politics, or do I have to take care of my elderly parents? Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, unless unless you are well off, or unless the government is is proactive enough to look into this uh, alleviating. I mean, I'm not saying the government has to solve them, yeah. but at the very least, there must be specific policies yeah. to provide care, or at least to provide an ecosystem yeah. to yeah. sort of like allow women to to take their minds off of of. of having to choose between caring for their child or having a career. And women shouldn't have to, to choose because, you know, you are co-parents. A man and a woman are co-parents of a child. And exactly. a woman has good opportunity to do well and in some, you know, sometimes better than her husband, then you would think you would support, right, the one who will be able to uh, provide better returns to, to investment. But Rahman, I was going to uh, ask you a little bit more about uh, mm-hmm. the support for women's participation. The, mm-hmm. the success of uh, the Islamic Party, uh, PAS, uh, this is the Pan-Malaysian Islamic Party, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Riding mm-hmm. the, the Green Wave. I mean, they've always been controversial in the past. And I think mm-hmm. their statements, for instance, on uh, the, parties, the role of women that you should take care of the children, you know, make mm-hmm. sure that they're good Muslims, uh, have a good home. Has this influenced a lot of Malaysian women to think that participating in politics is not for women, that politics is dirty, and therefore women should not be part of that? Did that uh, influence um, women's attitudes about politics and governance at all? Uh, empirically, there's, there's no empirical study saying, or at least talking about, like, you know, past message about women deterring women from entering the workforce. Um, circling back to what I just said earlier, that the reason why pe- women primarily are not actively involved in both uh, politics and even corporate or business life, right? Uh, it's primarily driven by the fact that, uh, number one, uh, politics demands a lot of your time. And I'm sure we're all activists here. We've all done our fair bit of uh, non-governmental work. And we all know the cost it, it has, right? Whether it's time, whether it's resources. And that remains one of the key deterring factors for women. That's number one. Number two, there's also this, this idea or at least this choice uh, that they have to do of like, do I care for my elderly parents, for my, my, my kids? Or do I want to work, right? Uh, more often than not, uh, women in Malaysia, what they do is, and I speak this from, from a personal experience and personal observation, uh, there's no empirical data whatsoever, but uh, most of them decide to, look, let's find a middle ground, right? Let's, let's find a nine-to-five job uh, that pays well, uh, that demands not so much of my time, of which then I could juggle. But there are, women who are in a situation whereby, you know, they don't have the luxury of choosing, right? So whether or not they can find a job that gives them work-life balance, right? But most of the time, that's that's not ideal, right? The the real world is 
you have a job, nine to five, you do it, whatever it demands of you. And at the same time, you still have to carry your responsibility uh, at home or to your parents or to your yeah. kids and to your I husband. Do agree. I do agree with Raman. I mean, yeah, I, generally, when you look at uh, Malaysian society, you know, Malaysian women are actually um, you know, very privileged. Uh, Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. We have um, the popula- Malaysian population is also well-educated. So uh, many women, you know, have, have reached um, until the university level and they are doing businesses. You know, they, they have many options, in fact. So uh, I'm glad to hear from Raman, you know, uh, the reasons why, in fact, uh, so many Malaysian women, uh, they really have to think twice or thrice to, to get into politics, you know, because this is actually a, a discussion among uh, women's NGOs. I remember, you know, um, being part of this Sabah Women um a uh, women action uh, NGO based in Kota Kinabalu. And, you know, there were a few uh, female politicians there as well. So these are really the, the real reasons behind why there is such a reluctance, a very, a very real reluctance among women. And not only in politics, Amina, there was also a study uh, uh, done by my colleague, you know, about leadership in the universities. Because apparently, you know, uh, there are also a few women who are becoming uh, vice chancellors or university presidents. And it's not like they there is no opportunity because, you know, it's there are a lot of opportunities for leadership in the universities uh, in many of the public universities in Malaysia. But the reality in, you know, what was found out in the research is that it's the women themselves, though they are already at a professor level, you know, they are, you know, they can become uh, leaders, but it is really their, you know, their personal decision, as Ramana is saying, you know, uh, knowing that they have other choices as well, you know, and especially work-life balance these days is really very popular, especially having overcome sure. COVID. Yeah, but, yeah. but that, that's the thing, yes, uh, I mean, I, I, I understand the you know, the, the importance of the care uh, industry, that it really should be supported by by government. And we hope that um, PM Anwar's government will do that. But when it's uh, specific to politics, and this is true not just for Malaysia, but for some other Islamic countries, um, I think our friends from Iman mm-hmm. uh, Rahman, they did a... Uh, a paper once, um, last, was it last year? Uh, they did mm-hmm. uh, interviews with uh, young mm-hmm. uh, people. And that came out that more and more of the women are really shying away from uh, politics. And this is specific to uh, the politics because it's dirty. 
and they don't want to get their mm -hmm. their hands uh, dirty. And I cannot help but wonder if this is influenced also by the growing uh, power of uh, our, you know, right wing Islamic uh, leaders. But I'm I'm glad that uh, there's no <laughs> hard data. <laughs> that support that gives me uh, the room, uh, the comfort zone. It's actually interesting, you know, when you look at these generalizations, because you will actually discover that, you know, for for all these generalizations, you will find out that uh, despite of what we think that, you know, it has some degree of influence, you know, younger generation are actually challenging the norms. Malaysian women and then even Muslims and Malay women are really challenging the norms that they are really more progressive. Which brings us to the role of progressive uh, young political <laughs> leaders like Rahman. So how, how goes it, Rahman, with young politicians um, within AMNO? Because it's a big walk, as you said. Does this influence in share um, of power okay, within so AMNO? Again, I'm going to start with the hard data. Uh, so out of the 4,478 candidates, uh, 225 candidates were below uh, the years of, uh, below 40 years old. And uh, today we have um, almost 70 uh, member of parliaments who are below the age of 40. Now in Malaysia, constitutionally, we're defining uh, under 40 as, as youth to a certain extent. Uh, we have amended last year to make it down to uh, 30 but you know uh, political parties have not caught on uh, to the whole thing yet now does young political leaders shape the power structure the hard answer is yes the problem is the challenge then becomes are their impacts reverberating across the power structure or are they being put as they put they're being put as as a poster boy or a pedestal uh, to a certain extent, as, as a token, like, look, we are doing so-and-so with the youth, ergo, we are a party that's friendly to the youth. Now, if you're talking about about uh, AMNO to a certain extent, uh, AMNO has always led as a party. Uh, we have this, uh, we have a youth wing, uh, which is called AMNO Youth, of which every leader at the division level, which is the state, uh, state and the parliamentary level, uh, are under the age of 40. And we've tried, and, and for, for the longest of time, Pemuda uh, Amno, which is what we, it is called, it's called Pemuda Amno, Amno Youth, have uh, created and birthed uh, many uh, leaders that you see today. Uh, Hishamuddin is one of them, Kairi Jamaluddin is one of them. The current Amno president, Zaid Ahmedi, uh, was once an uh, Amno Youth leader. Prime Minister Anwar was once an Amno Youth leader. So, Amno as a party have always uh, had this cadership within Amno youth to sort of like train uh, young political leaders to change. Now, if the questions had been said like, do they have impact and large impact now? Then my answer wouldn't be a hard yes. My answer would probably be it's, it's somewhere between, you know, 30 to 40% to a certain extent, especially looking at the power structure. Now, Political party aside, uh, I think I would like to also talk about the role of the younger generation or the young voters. Like I was mentioning earlier, I mean, we have 10 million voters. 
who are between the age of 18 to 40. And as of January this year, we have 30,000 new voters registering on a monthly basis. So you could imagine that by the time uh, the next general election, which is 2028 or 2026, uh, 2027, uh, excuse me, 2027, you'd probably have, you know, not just 10 million young voters, you'd probably have, you know, almost 12, 13 million young voters. Now, here's the key, right? Political structures, political structures or political party have to respond to the growing younger gen, uh, voter base, right? Now, are political parties churning enough young leaders to resonate with the younger voter base? Now, that is the question, right? Because only if they respond to the voter base, then we can say that young political leaders are having big impact on shifting the narrative and shifting the, the power structure. Because another thing that is uh, noteworthy is a lot of the first-time voter in the election in December uh, actually said, look, we never knew about the country structure. We didn't know that this was a constitutional uh, monarchy. We never knew that we had three arms of the government, the judiciary, legislative, and the executive. We never knew the difference between state legislation and and the, the parliament, right? So knowing that, right, political parties have to do more in terms of churning up new leaders. And I think this is where Amno Youth, uh, during the last uh, party elections, is showing. Like it's putting out candidates who are young, candidates who are in touch, uh, with the younger narrative, candidates who uses TikTok, candidates who talks about, you know, cost of living issues, candidates who talks about, you know, young families who have no uh, place to send their, their kids while they go out to work. And, and, and these are issues really very close to the heart of the young voters. So for young political leaders to make big impacts, they have to resonate with the younger uh, voter base. So maybe at this point, Rahman, to our audience, um, mm -hmm. you know, you can give us your uh, maybe motivations to all the young Malaysians <laughs> who would like to be involved, not necessarily become politician, but be more involved in politics in Malaysia. Um, you know, to, to my friends in, in the Philippines, and of course, to my other friends in Malaysia, the brethren who listens to this, um, whenever I talk about my hope for the future is... I hope more young people are involved in nation building. Before being involved in politics, let's all be involved in nation building. I understand a lot of young people are apathetic towards politics because it's dirty, it's corrupted, it requires a huge amount of investment in both time and cost. Um, you know, there's this power structure that all of us have to struggle with, you know, the hierarchy, the seniors and whatnot. However, nation building has none of that, right? So... I'm saying to my friends in the Philippines and my fellow brethren in Malaysia, be a part of nation building initiative. When we talk about nation building, you, it, it is a wide area. You could start talking about making sure more uh, uh, communities who are at risk to start reading. That's nation building. Um, you know, being involved in poverty reduction in an orang asli kampung somewhere. That's nation building. Tackling urban poverty through education and financial literacy. That's nation building. I mean, you don't have to be in a political party to build the nation. So let's come together, be, be a participant in building our nation before, you know, we talk about joining a political party and, and whatnot.
Thank you for that message, uh, Rahman. And, and it really brings home very clearly the point that if you are a citizen of a republic, your number one role as a citizen, your obligation as a citizen, is to help your government secure the nation. So it is really upon all of us to help make sure that we have strong nations, we have resilient communities, and that is so timely, Rahman, what with all of the security challenges that uh, we are facing, internal mm -hmm. and external. So thank you so much for that, uh, Rahman. Uh, yes, I'm sure you agree. Yes, and I'm looking forward to meet Rama next time and when I'm in KL. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I mean, I, I'm looking forward to meet any of you. Thank you so much, Rahman. Dear listeners, you've heard uh, Rahman Hussein of uh, Malaysia, a young political leader who's a visionary and part of uh, uh, the very strong party AMNO. And hopefully with young leaders like him, uh, they can help shepherd Amno to a new role within the unity government. <laughs> so thank you so much. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Amina. Thank you, Aisha. And then to all our viewers, we'd like to invite them. If they have any comments, suggestions, or feedback, they can actually email us at sheetalkspeace at gmail.com. So to everyone, until next time, this is Ayesa here in Malaysia. Amina from bye, the Philippines. Bye, bye Ayesa. Bye, Ayesa. Thank you. Have a good week ahead. She Talks Peace is brought to you in partnership with Podcast Network Asia and Podmetrics, the easiest way to monetize your podcast. For more information, check out their website at podcastnetwork.asia and podmetrics.co. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.